0: An Army officer is dangerous when he begins to be a glory hunter. Lieutenant Colonel Clarence R. Hubner, 28th Infantry Regiment, 1st Division, AEF, near Sedan, France, November 1918. Hey folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast, episode 94, A Total Dick Move. Again, we light on admin notes for this episode, but a quick Patreon shout out to Sterling. Thank you so much for signing up, sir. No Patreon pitch this time, but I think you folks know what to do if you're interested. So, let's get right to the travesty that is the main event of this episode. Before we get into it, I just want to say to listener John, who was on the 2022 tour in France, I don't know if you remember, man, um, but I told you I'd name this episode what I just named it, and I said it way back last summer, okay? So here we are. I did it. Um, I can't believe we're here, okay? To everyone else, I think you'll know why the title is what it is, by the end of this episode. All right, the race to Sedan. here we go. Following the AEF First Army's breakthrough of German lines on the 1st of November, the Americans were on the march. The Germans were desperate to break contact, pull back and establish a new line running from the Belgian city of Antwerp to the River Meuse. The advancing Americans though, remained hot on their heels. AEF units surged forward some 17 miles in the first three days of November, outpacing the French 4th Army on their left. On November 3, 1918, AEF Commander-in-Chief General John Pershing met with French Groupe d'Armée du Centre Commander General Paul Maistre to discuss the latest battlefield developments. This is where it started, folks. With the French 4th Army falling behind the American advance, General Maistre grudgingly agreed that the Mezier and Sedan rail hubs needed to be taken by whoever could get there first, poilu or Doughboy. The Germans had to be crushed. So, if the Americans were closer and able to do it, they could take Sedan. Pershing was dying to hear something like this, and it was all he needed— He wanted a big catch for the AEF. He wanted the AEF recognized for its efforts in the war. He wanted himself recognized for his idea that open warfare, which was happening now in his sector, was the right way to fight a war. Of course, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that if your troops look good, well, their leader can't be looking too shabby either. From his memoirs, Pershing wrote, quote, It was the ambition of the First Army and mine that our troops should capture Sedan, which the French had lost in a decisive battle in 1870. I suggested to General Maistre that the prescribed boundary line between our First and the French Fourth Army might be ignored in case we should outrun the French, to which he offered no objection, but on the contrary, warmly approved, end quote. It was the ambition of the First Army? Mmm, I don't know about all that. But he was indeed right on the second part of the statement. Pershing himself wanted the city taken by American soldiers. Okay, why was Sedan such a big deal? Well, there's the rail hub between it and Mezier that made it the whole point of the Meuse-Argonne offensive. Sedan was another city of huge symbolism to the French. It was at Sedan, at the end of the Franco-Prussian War in 1870, where the then-French Emperor Napoleon III had surrendered to the Prussians of Wilhelm I. After this humiliating capitulation, France had then seen two of its eastern provinces brutally amputated and grafted onto the new German Reich. France now on the advance to an expensive victory, wanted vindication and not a little revenge. For French soldiers to march in and liberate Sedan from the hated Germans would be the ultimate vindication and revenge. The city lay well within the French 4th Army zone of operations. It was just a matter of the Poilus getting there. On the 5th of November, The AEF G-3, Brigadier General Fox Connor, went to First Army's headquarters to meet with his counterpart there, Colonel George C. Marshall. And yes, in case you've forgotten, it's that George Marshall. Real quick for those listeners who don't always live with these military terms, G-3 means General Staff Officer Position 3, meaning that person oversees the movement and maneuver of the command they are a part of. In Connor's case, he oversaw movement and maneuver of the entire AEF. In Marshall's case, his area of responsibility was that of the entire AEF First Army. In the course of the meeting, General Connor gave Colonel Marshall a draft of a message he had written. We will quote it here thanks to David Zabecki's 2018 article in Military History titled, Racing Headlong. Quote, General Pershing desires that the honor of entering Sudan should fall to the 1st American Army. He has every confidence that the troops of the 1st Corps, assisted on their right by the 5th Corps, will enable him to realize this desire. In transmitting the foregoing message, your attention is invited to the favorable opportunity now existing for pressing our advantage throughout the night. Quote. When the meeting occurred, neither the 1st Army commander, Lieutenant General Hunter Liggett, nor the Chief of Staff, General Hugh Drum, were there. Marshall really hesitated on issuing the order to 1st and 5th Corps, but at the end of the day, the AEF G3 outranked him, and orders were orders. Marshall said that if he could not get in contact with Liggett or Drum, he would release the order at 1800 that evening. General Drum arrived back at First Army HQ just before 1800 hours. He read Connor's message and then added a last line to it. Boundaries will not be considered binding. The order was issued at 1800 on November 5th. Liggett, the army commander, still knew nothing of it as he was out in the field. Communications in 1918 simply couldn't travel fast enough to remote parts of the battlefield. Liggett wouldn't actually hear of the order until November 7th. The situation was compounded by the apparent fact that, according to Colonel Marshall, Blackjack Pershing himself went down to 1st Corps HQ. There he told Corps Commander Major General Joseph Dickman that he was to reorient all of his operations towards the taking of Sedan. This supposedly happened at 1700, a full hour before 1st Army's orders went out. Dickman, as commander of 1st Corps, duly issued orders for the 42nd Division to push towards Sedan immediately. He did not ask 5th Corps for help. Dickman and General Summerall weren't exactly simpatico with each other. That last line added by General Drum of boundaries will not be considered binding would be a real doozy. Listen, soldiers are great, but if you don't tell them very specifically what to do and with clear <clears throat> boundaries, they will take advantage. For you military folks listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. You've been around Joe, okay? Joe needs clear rules or else Joe will unravel the laws of the universe in minutes, folks. It's just, it's just something that happens. Major General Charles Summerall, commander of 5th Corps, now set out to prove that point. Summerall, having received his orders from 1st Army that he was to support 1st Corps, but that boundaries were not considered binding, turned and ordered 1st Division to march into Sedan by the next morning. General Frank Parker, commanding the Big Red One, duly executed. Summerall reasoned that, hey... He'd be supporting 1st Corps, and since boundaries weren't an issue, he could send in 1st Division right across the front of two other American divisions without warning them. Yes, Summerall and his 5th Corps issued no communications to 1st Corps on their left regarding the fact that they'd released a division to march into and through their sector to go take Sedan way over in the French sector. To his credit, 1st Division's General Parker did warn 1st Corps, but now 1st Corps staff did not think to warn its own 77th and 42nd Divisions of what was coming their way. 1st Division marched as ordered leaving a gap in the American line in its stead. On its left, the 77th Division found its right flank in the air, meaning without contact with the neighboring unit. And 2nd Division on the right found its own left flank in the same situation. Had the Germans not been disintegrating at that point, they would have easily filled that gap and created absolute mayhem. So the doughboys of the 1st Division marched across the front of the 77th and then the 42nd Divisions. General Frank Parker, at the head of his division columns, was annoyed that his doughboys weren't as excited as he was. 8,000 of those doughboys were raw replacements, and all of them were tired of marching mile after mile without rest. And that was before things got exciting because things got exciting. First Corps doughboys opened fire on them, especially while it was dark, as any large body of troops out ahead of your lines was to be seen as a threat. Then infantry and supply columns started crashing into each other. Fights broke out. The doughboys of the Rainbow Division were also in a race to get to Sedan themselves. When the 1st Division crossed over into the 42nd Division's front, frontline troops of the Rainbow Division warned their commands as quickly as possible. Brigade Commander General Douglas MacArthur, very appropriately alarmed, went out to investigate as soon as he heard. MacArthur, dressed as usual in his own uniform of crushed officer's cap, no protective mask, and haughty attitude, encountered 1st Division doughboys marching across his brigade's front. When he asked just what the hell was going on, he was promptly arrested by a 1st Division lieutenant who took him for a German spy. I mean, you can't make this shit up, folks. Word got back to 1st Corps and General Dickman of what was happening. Dickman was furious. But the heat of a thousand suns burst in that region of France when General Hunter Liggett found out about what was happening on his army front on November 7th, a full day after it had all started. He apparently exploded in anger, and he himself later said he lost his composure. But you would too when your G3 and the AEF's G3 both failed to tell you that they had launched your divisions on a pursuit of vanity without asking you first. Liggett eventually calmed down when he went to First Corps and worked to calm down the incandescent General Dickman. Liggett then made out for Fifth Corps headquarters, wherein a shocking surprise to absolutely no one, General Summerall, the corps commander, was nowhere to be found. Shocking. The 1st Army commander turned his rage on the chief of staff there, who attempted to say they were just following orders. Liggett stated that what was happening was a quote-unquote military atrocity, and he wanted a written statement from Summerall like now. But it wasn't over yet. The 1st Division crossed over into the French 4th Army's sector and right into the path of the French 40th Division d'Infanterie. The 40th Infantry Division was a veteran French Army division that had fought on the Marne in the 1915 fighting in the Argonne, at Les Mordomes at Verdun, and at the Second Battle of the Marne. Its commander, ...wasn't having this nonsense. 1st Division was told to halt when the U.S. 26th Infantry Regiment... ...was identified as being in the sector of the 40th DI. General Parker was close now, though, and he wanted to get to Sedan. But the 40th DI wasn't having it. The French, too, were now furious. To paraphrase what they then said, withdraw your troops or we open fire on you. We're not playing. General Parker in the 1st Division then blinked first and smartly withdrew. There is a photo of American officers shaking hands with a French Lieutenant Colonel of the 40th Division in the outskirts of Sedan, but those officers were from the 42nd Rainbow Division. It would be the French who marched into Sudan, after all, on the 9th of November. All of this would have been a lighthearted lark, if not for the 1st Division's 80 men killed and 503 wounded as a result of all of this. General Pershing visited Liggett's headquarters on November 9th in a clear sign that this whole incident was his own damn fault and, frankly, a total dick move. He downplayed the whole thing when Liggett brought the matter up to him. And, you know, man, what about those crazy kids, huh, in the 42nd and 1st Divisions? God, isn't it just so cute how competitive those guys are? In his memoirs, Pershing definitely tried to minimize the whole thing. He wrote, quote, Under normal conditions... The action of the officer or officers responsible for this movement of the first division directly across the zones of action of two other divisions could not have been overlooked, but the splendid record of that unit and the approach of the end of hostilities suggested leniency. End quote. Did you catch the little bit of shade thrown at Summerall with the officer or officers responsible for this movement phrase? Summerall's peers grumbled that he should have been court martialed for the race to Sedan. He wasn't, though, and would eventually become the Army's chief of staff less than a decade later. Summerall certainly wasn't innocent in this, but the one to blame here is none other than Blackjack himself. It was Pershing who set the whole ball of stupidity rolling, and it is on his shoulders that the weight of those first division casualties should sit. Okay, so next episode, we'll look at the last days of the American offensive and the last days of the war itself. Crazy to say it, but it's also going to be the last episode on the Merz Argonne, folks, at least for a good while. And last thing for this episode... If the Lost Battalion Tours Mirzargon Battle Study slash Tour sounds like something you would like to join, shoot us an email at lostbattaliontours@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You'll be on our contact list and you'll be first to hear when we announce our next week in the Mirzargon in 2024. We're shooting to have it in the first week of July of next year. It's a great time, folks. Questions, comments, or concerns, please don't hesitate to contact me at verdunpodcast at gmail.com. Get at me on Twitter at, at WW one podcast Check out the BFWWP website, firstworldwarpodcast.com, for some photos. And check out the Battles of the First World War podcast page on the Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you again soon. Take care.